Welcome to Frameline. I am Barbara Gosowski, and I am here, as usual, with my favorite co-host, Courtney Small. Hello. First day of TIFF. First day of TIFF. Second show of TIFF for our 2018 coverage. And we're starting off with a bang. Last week, we had a great time talking about a lot of films. And this week, we're going to actually talk to some filmmakers, which is always exciting. Uh, let's, let's just get right into it. We're going to talk more about films later on. But first, we've got some makers of shorts. Uh, we have Zach Russell and uh, the co-writer and star, Kayla Lorette, of a film called 7A, something unforgettable. Trust me. And another unforgettable film that's going to be in the festival, Shortcuts, by writer-director Roni. She's here uh, representing Glitter's Wild Women. So these are two amazing examples of uh, just the special things that shorts can do. Uh, 7A is a dystopian sci-fi. It's about a woman who is, you know, preparing to record a video message and a serviceman has to come in and fix something in the apartment. And then, you know, this everyday interaction takes on a sinister kind of a different kind of a vibe when something happens, something that's part of their existence in the future. And Glitter's Wild Women, well, we've got magic realism at its best. <laughs> Two sisters. Well, they, they're really lonely, and they really want people to come visit them, but there's just something really unusual about these two. And uh, you, you're going to have to see this. <laughs> Both of these, you have to see them to believe them. That's the beauty of them. Um, they're just a joy to watch and uh, both kind of creepy, <laughs> both films. <laughs> so everyone, um, you know, I was I was talking about like what makes shorts special and certain shorts can do certain things. And you guys have all like really honed in on a couple of ideas where short being a, a, doing it in a short form really, really uh, makes it stand out, makes it special. Uh, so let's start with Roni and, uh, you know, let's talk about your film and how you sort of, you know, um, made it this way and use the form. Yeah. Thank you. That's pr that's a really good summary of, the, of it. Just <laughs> they're so lonely and they're so creepy and creepy stuff happens. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, with the vision of the film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, the vision for the film came. I, it's hard to like think about the moment where I came up with everything about it because when you you know from the moment you start writing it to now, you kind of forget like how you even came up with the idea, and so it, it happened in weird stages. Like um, the first stage was you know I, I knew I wanted to make a short film because I had a background in television and and it seemed like television was moving towards you know more cinematic or more um film-based kind of um medium mm -hmm. and uh, I wanted to be a part of that and learn more about that um so I wanted to make a short film and I wanted to do it on uh my buddy's property in Prince Edward County so when we were up there we were just like okay like let's make it sci-fi let's incorporate magic um obviously we um we weren't I'm yeah, we came we came up with that idea completely sober, and, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, 
I, I, I really bow down to your imagination. <laughs> yeah, I don't need it. I just the come, you know, just comes to me, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, that was yeah. The vision came when I was on the property. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Zach and Kayla, you co-wrote, and uh, so I guess it was a collaborative thing. Yeah, this is the second short that Zach and I have made together. And uh, and this one kind of came out of, I guess we started with a very small idea and it kind of organically built to what it was in the end. Uh, the, first, the first short film we ever did, we did like an Indiegogo campaign and we had to do like one of those videos um, begging for money. And uh, and we were like inspired by this idea of a woman alone creating this video and, and uh, that was just the jumping off point. And then, and then obviously so much more was added to it. It was, yeah, like I had never made a film before the last one. And so technically the first film I ever made was this Indiegogo video. Yeah. So, and it was so good, really. Like we really are good at asking for money in these kind of I think it was the best work we've done was that Indiegogo video. It was Indiegogo better than video. the film. So Absolutely. it felt like the right form to kind of hop onto for the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and can you speak to, in both of these films, there's a, there's a aspect of voyeurism that I find fascinating. So in 7A, yeah. Your character is creating a video, but we're not quite sure what type of video it is. And then it kind of comes back to play in later on. And then in in Glitter, you have two characters that are doing certain things. Some of them might not necessarily be considered good, and they are recording it as well. So can you just speak to, you know, I guess, I don't know, at what point did you want to incorporate the aspect of voyeurism into your film? Uh, I really like this film bias, so obnoxious but there's this film by michael haneke called cache oh great uh, and uh i think that that film just affected me a lot and and so sort of the combination of like you know having a day to shoot something and it's like okay well wouldn't it be great if you could make the found footage idea like kind of integral so that it's not just like oh this film has no shots in it and it's so cheaply made uh and then and then yeah w- watching that movie and and trying to play with uh I don't know. I, I also like, like things inside of things. So, like, I, you know, we have the character make the video and then she watches the video that she makes. And I, don't know, I just always like weird, like, the art inside the art or whatever. Yeah. It was fun using that, like, one lens, too, because both Tom Rooney, who's the other actor in it, and I are both, like, have, like, live performance backgrounds. So it was fun to kind of have just, like, a one, a one kind of fourth wall that we were always playing to uh, and staging that around. So it was fun to kind of be theatrical in that way and think about our movement and how we're performing, knowing that that's where the audience eye is, because that's kind of where we started performing. Yeah. Ronnie? Yeah. Um, I, I think the, like, the idea of them using the broadcast camera in the film to film everything that they're doing came from more of like a like a nostalgia feeling I think um it just feels good when you see broadcast footage and when you you're taken back especially like from people that you know didn't grow up with cell phones and stuff you're just taken back to like it just it's it's a lot more special I think because now that we have so much amazing technology we're shooting everything that we see so it kind of like puts you in a certain place and makes you feel a certain way so that's what I wanted to do. And then also, I just I thought the fact that they wanted to host a film festival so people could see their film was just like I 
just thought it'd be so funny if I got into a festival. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like literally making fun of all of us. <laughs> so that was just like definitely the game plan there. <laughs> Those characters, I have to say, I mean, all the characters in this case, uh, just playing out in front of you know a camera or in in front of these cameras you know in, in terms of the voyeuristic like developing these these characters uh, and capturing them in just a few short minutes like what was key what was key to the way you directed or or in the way that you directed and, and you um, and I'm pointing at at people on the radio <laughs> <laughs> visual medium radio yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah no I um. I think uh, one thing that I, because especially because it was my first film, I, I thought it was really important to keep it the dialogue incredibly minimal, um, because the jokes will land harder because you only have you know thirteen minutes, um, if you have less of them, and you have more room to explore things that, especially me with my writing background, explore things that you wouldn't necessarily explore like um, like angles and and you know, um, I don't know, set, set deck and, 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 um, like phys like physically, you know, moving around the characters. Like, what is that? How do we do that? Right. Like, you know, from, from walking from one end to, uh, one end of a room to the other, for me, it, it took a lot of time because I was so new at it and I didn't know, you know, that one action is actually quite difficult to pull off and make nice because people have done it over and over and over again. So I thought that if I kept the dialogue very, very minimal, that, I would have a lot more room um, to work with everything else. I think. Okay, and and you you guys, you're working as a team. One as a director, one as the writer and the actor. Yeah, I think you know we pulled this one together really fast, and the key kind of writing time was like the night before we uh, we had Tom, the other actor, come in, and they're they're both really good improvisers, and so we just kind of improvised the hell out of it for for like several hours uh and it's just you know it's just this one continuous scene right so you can kind of do that and then even on the day you guys sort of did something new in every take and so there's ver there's a lot of versions of the film and it took it took a year to cut out all of the dialogue yeah the bad stuff yeah <laughs> all the bad all the bad improv that seemed really funny on the day uh yeah you know but I, but i think it, i think ultimately what i was looking for from these two characters were just like very uh banal everyday people and they weren't kind of in a heightened state and they were just going about their day and and so i feel like it's just kind of kayla and tom that are like those who the those are who the people are i don't know if you feel the same way yeah, I think I was just trying to do the most natural version of things, just really responding to Tom in the moment. And knowing that we had that one shot and we didn't have to worry about coverage or, or like, keeping things the same, it, it opened us up to kind of just any kind of awkward thing of missing a step or an object hitting you or, or kind of having to, to move differently each time you could respond to, which I think gave it, like, a more naturalistic feel. And, yeah, there's a lot of freedom getting to just the, do full takes. There's some very silly, great little gems of things you say under your breath that I don't even know if people – like, like when he comes in, you, I think you just say, in – when he, when he walks in the door, like these kinds of things, you can't really write that kind of stuff, and it's good. You know, when it works, is really it's really fun. Pretty genius dialogue from me there. Hey, hey, yeah. co-written. Hey, there yeah. you go, <laughs> Kayla. It might have all been subtle, but it's beautifully creepy. You know, your character is just it in this in the context of this, you know, dystopian sci-fi. Usually, I always think of guys in that kind of situation. 
right? And then you get this in this in this case you get a woman, and so it's almost like using an old style, an old format, and putting something new into it, which is a strong woman. But in both cases, we've got these creepy strong women, and in your case, it's very subtle. It's actually very subtle in both. So. You know, talk about developing that. Like, or was that? It sounds like it's just coming naturally. I just, I am a creepy strong woman, and um, (laughs) (laughs) no, I think um, that's that's great to hear that. That's that's what it it feels like. I think that's what we wanted. We wanted this woman to feel as if she was kind of coming to some place of like uh, trying to explore social interaction and and trying to be vulnerable in 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 in. I guess it's dystopian, but really, I think just how we all kind of feel trying to interact with a stranger and have a moment and seem real and and try to connect and uh I call it dystopian just because of the situation that those two end up having to face a- together. And absolutely. I think and the it way is, that yeah. she faces that and faces him you know in conflict in that situation. Yeah, I think I think it definitely it became that but it felt really organic. It really just we wanted to center it around this like yeah, this human interaction and and how far you can go with a stranger and what kind of intimacy, even disturbing intimacy you can have in a in a tiny moment. Um yeah, but we like we like creepy women. I think it seems like we all really like creepy women. <laughs> yeah, like. yeah. You both seem like creeps. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> so, so talk about talk about develop uh, creating your creepy women in this this context. You know, magic realism. You know, people at a farm living apart from from other people, right, Roni? And then, but in your case, like, these were very unforgettable characters. Yeah. Well, I. <laughs> I really okay, so I really I'm a big fan of very blunt humor, very very blunt humor, and um, I I wanted it to be realistic. So what's more blunt than being brutally honest? So if so, we're like all you know raised to not speak our truths <laughs> and tell people how we really feel about them. <laughs> We're just supposed to be, hey, so I'll oh, see you at the next, bye. And that's how we live our lives for the rest of our lives. So these two women are taken out of isolation or taken into isolation and, and completely separated from society. So it gives them freedom to be brutally honest with everything and everything and everyone around them. So um, they're like literally when they're doing all that stuff in the movie that I'm not supposed to say because they're huge spoilers. They're not, it's not, it doesn't come from a place of like creepiness or like, or twisted. It's just what, it's just kind of comes natural to them because they don't know any better. I think I also base the characters off of my cats. Um, <laughs> quite literally, <That's> like, brilliant. <laughs> well, like you're, you mean you're trying to write something, and then there's these two cats, and cats are actually proven to release uh, pheromones that make women go crazy. Mm-hmm. Literally, they, it's proven. So the term "crazy cat lady" is a real thing. That do, explains yeah. a lot about me. Well, how many cats do you own? Two. Oh, well, there you go. I'm My friend recently bashing. got one of those cat carriages, and I refuse to walk with her if no. she's got it out, but oh. she loves it. I mean. Sometimes you just gotta cut people. Uh, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. But yeah. No. The, I have the one cat who is uh, uh, like really um, flamboyant and and eccentric and loves people and will intru- in, introduce the family when you know walking through the door. Hi, I'm Malik. I'm you're Ma- based off of Terrence Malik. That's what his name is. Uh, and uh, and and then we got Lou, who's the 
you know, the Prince of Darkness and he stays in uh, the shadows and he doesn't like sunlight and he doesn't like talking to people. And so I was like, okay, let's make two characters that bounce off of each other with those exact same qualities. And that's, yeah. <laughs> it works wonders. What struck me about both of those films is the way that um, through your performances, Kayla, your, as you said, a lot of improvising took place, but also with you, I know you were working with at least one first-time actor for one of the two. sisters. Two first-time actors. Well, Grace is is a star child. She's been in a lot of uh, very great films. Um, but Cody is a uh, performance artist, and uh, the delivery boy in, in our film is uh, works at D- Dark Horse, the cafe I used to work at. Oh. And yeah, and I I just like told him, hey, you're gonna act in my film. Like, sorry. So, be, <laughs> being someone who has an acting background, did you find it? easier to get the performances you wanted like were you very hands-on and also um zach you know you you're working with the writer and someone that you've worked with before so was there a lot of directing on your hands in terms of getting the performances or were you more hands-off so just for both of you you go ahead i think uh pretty I think like I don't know, hands on feels like it's a bad connotation. Uh, <laughs> there were no, there was no touching. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I feel like it was. It's still pretty hand. It's still like it's. It's still there's still a lot of directing that happens. Um, I don't know. It, it's it's a weird thing where it's like I think I think it's maybe just nice for you. I'm going to tell you what it's what's nice for you. What's nice for you is mm-hmm. that you can kind of just uh, let go and do do anything and then I can kind of always sort of like when, once we're on set I'm not really trying to pick uh, her writer brain that much no it's great it's relaxing immediately I can just let Zach tell me tell me what to do and what he sees and I trust him so much and I can let go of the other part of my brain that would be worried about what it's looking like and if it's going well and I can trust Zach's instincts but I would also say like 90% of the directing that day was just like uh, te- very technical stuff it's mm-hmm. like you know like kind of not, not a lot of acting not a lot of acting notes yeah because they're they're good and they know what they're doing and yeah she, like you said she's a co-writer so it was really it was just like extremely technical especially with the fight stuff see we can't talk about our films because it's all spoilers mm-hmm. <laughs> Roni you pick up the slack here I can't talk <laughs> especially with the fight stuff right you don't want to know about the fight stuff <laughs> This is okay. These are good teasers. Yeah. Teasers. It's teasers. like, oh, I want to see yeah. this now. Yeah. yeah. What, uh, I, I solely casted uh, my film based off of their uh, personalities, um, uh, aside from Grace, because um, I knew that Grace is, could just, like, hone into any character. Um, but, yeah, Cody, I was just, like, super fascinated by her online presence. She's just so strange <laughs> and and she has her own um show called the cody show and everything on set is fake and built out of like clay or something and she plays like basically herself but a clown and it's so great and so i i wanted to get that weirdness into the film and then um actually directing them was pretty easy because we had so much rehearsal time that they just like really really um honed in and studied um just the art of deadpan and so that was like awesome because I was really worried that um, that certain lines weren't going to be delivered because like on set, I don't know, it's different and I'm new and I don't know, <laughs> but it it worked out. Um, and what, this is something really cool that I learned. So I, I was really, really focused on the monitor, right? Everybody kept going like, Roni, back to the monitor, back to the monitor. And I'm like, okay, I don't know. I, yeah, I have to stand in front of this monitor the whole time. And, and I remember giving the actors notes from the monitor. 
And then halfway through, I was like, this makes no sense. And my partner, who is a, a cinematographer, and, and he's been on set a million times, he comes over to me, he's like, you have to give notes directly in their eyes. You have to be right <laughs> in front of them and tell them notes. Because if you don't, then the directing thing, they you, you lose their trust. You lose all of their trust. You can't talk into a monitor. So then that was a really cool thing I learned. Like, you have to look at them. Makes <laughs> <laughs> total sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mo- monitors are so weird. Like, I'd done a lot of theater before, and when I did the, my first film, I was, like, really weirded out by the monitor. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's weird because you, when you think about, like, oh, you're going to direct a film, you don't think that what you're essentially supposed to do all day is, like, just stare at a very small screen yeah. in a room full of people that you're not supposed to pay attention to except uh-uh. for, like, three actors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's really kind of, it's oddly antisocial and lonely. And people keep telling you, go to the, go to the monitor. Check the, and you're like, don't yeah. tell me what to do. I'm supposed to be doing that. (laughs) 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 It sounds like this is going to be a conversation that continues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Over a few drinks. Monitor business. What's going on with this filmmaking business? Change. (laughs) There's going to be a revolution in Canadian cinema. It's starting tonight. (laughs) Hashtag no monitor. No monitors allowed on set. (laughs) All right. Well, before we ruin all. Because they're brilliant films, I want everybody to go out and love them. Uh, so, before we, before we give away anything else about the films, uh-huh. we're going to wrap up. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. So much fun. And I met like if we had fun just in a radio station, can you imagine what's going to happen on screen? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you guys go out right now. Go to tiff.net and check out uh, the shorts programs. Uh, Shortcuts is the is the program. And you're going to check out Glitter's Wild Women, directed by Roni, who's here today. Thank you. And Thank you. you're going to check out 7A. That's by director Zach Russell and the star and co-writer Kayla Lorette. Thanks, Thank guys, you. again. All right. Thank you. <laughs> so we're going to be back in just a second. Okay, you're back with Frameline on Radio Regent. I'm Barbara Kosofsky, still here with my favorite co-host, Courtney Small. And right now, we're very excited to have Canadian filmmaker Igor Derliaccia. And he has made uh, another film. His latest is The Stone Speakers. This time it's a documentary, and this time it's showing in wavelengths, which is uh, one of the more interesting programs. Well, they're all interesting. What am I talking about? But it's a uh, wavelengths is, is where you get to see films that are you know not uh, not your average kind of film. They're kind of special in their own way. And uh, so Igor, uh, let me tell you a bit about Igor. This is his first documentary feature. Igor has gotten a lot of attention at the festival before. His first feature, Kravina, and uh, then The Waiting Room from 2015. The Waiting Room was nominated for a bunch, a whole bunch of Canadian Screen Awards. And so you'll remember him, I'm sure. You you know the name, Igor Igor Derlieta, from that. So this film takes place in Bosnia and Herzegovina, and it's sort of... It has this beautiful observational style, which is characteristic of Igor's work, even in narrative features. 
And this time, the observational style comes together with this gorgeous, luscious style. And he starts to uh, look at some of the more unusual ways that the, the, the region is trying to revive tourism. And in fact, revive itself, right? Yes. Thanks, Barbara, for having me again. Um, yeah, the film sort of speaks to the way that tourism and ideology uh, meet and the way that, you know, meaning is created, uh, not always just purely for, you know, uh, selling tickets or, you know, attracting people to a space, but also as a, a way to kind of create a, a political project. Um, but not necessarily pitch it as a political project, pitch it as a as a site for, you know, historical um, uh, for historical reasons. So I found these four sites traveling over the years, and I was kind of fascinated by how each one kind of has its own sort of like ideological framework. Um, the, the sort of the narratives of the constituent um, ethnic groups uh, in Bosnia are sort of like linked somehow to some of these spaces. And I wanted to, in an observational way, in not a, not a, not a, in a way that sort of like uh, puts any one group in a bind, um, just sort of like document it mm-hmm. and sort of talk about our own sort of um, need to be a lot more aware of how history is written, not just in this region, but just everywhere. I mean, like what's happening in the U.S. right now is very similar to some of the elements that are in this film, um, like the, the sort of like the, the historical revisionism, like when you think about like Charlesville uh, upright, the the riot there, um, and with like the far far right uh, elements that are sort of trying to like re uh, write essentially parts of American history, mm-hmm. um, and this is happening in the Balkans constantly. And that's sort of what I wanted to bring some light to. Yeah, and it's interesting in your film how you you spotlight the efforts, specific efforts, to revive specific places in specific ways. There are cultural, there are historical reasons, there are cultural reasons. There's a, a religious undertone that's that's, you know, as a Eastern European person myself, you know, it, it's, these are very familiar. Um, it felt very familiar. It, it felt like there's a certain uh, point of view that comes from being from places like this, places that have this sort of war-torn history, N- not not in the same way that Bosnia Herzegovina, because th- there's been a recent war and there is more, you know, of a civil c- kind of war. So there's there's a lot of different elements at play when we're watching your your film and in with every one that you follow and every one that you document um there's a different element at play and things build in a really interesting way that i found yeah the the idea was to kind of create like a, a narrative that encompasses a country by looking at these fragments these fragmented ways that people mark these spaces and the way that they want tourists to experience them so what I found really fascinating is that no matter what your politics might be, you will find issues with every site, right? And even like when I was just recently, there were some blogs and reviews that came up. Everybody sort of spots what they want. Like if they're sort of uh, a leftist 
uh, they don't really notice that I'm, you know, not entirely non-critical of like the last section that sort of like, you know, takes an authoritarian figure like Tito and like celebrates that period. So the left in, in the country, for example, the, the left in, in, in Bosnia uh, is still too, is way, very tied to the legacy of the socialist period. And they don't understand why other people don't want to kind of back that that sentiment, uh, like this sort of idea of like a civic identity and all that stuff, which is all really positive, which which is what I also back. But when you tie it to you know the communist period, when you tie it to these specific figures, um, you lose a lot of people. You lose that progressive uh, voice that might have worked otherwise, right? So even like when people watch the film. I am not really overtly critical of of any particular um, ideology. I am just sort of like giving the the people an ability to sort of like just sort of find within it um, the the means to analyze their own their 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 own sort of position. Yeah, they um, make, that's what makes it a fascinating documentary. Is that you don't necessarily put forward a point of view you actually put forward a document, a series of experiences that you had that um, are very vast and that you don't get involved with. You you just document the people. And it's interesting, even stylistically, that comes through, mm-hmm. you know, where, where you show the person in their space, in the space that you locate them in the space in which uh, they're going to... Sp- discuss their particular um, historical event or, or, you know, what they're reviving, but you have this sort of visual cue as to, you know, this person is here, located here, from this point of view, and then that sec- then the section begins where you start to, from- and it's, perf- like I said, perfectly observational. Mm-hmm. Did you have people in mind before you started um, filming that you wanted to discuss? Because what I love about this film, as much as what you were just talking about, is that for every positive aspect, we are also given a negative. So you'll have a person speaking on the benefits of um, existential survival as a tool to propel people forward. And then you'll have someone else reference the the ways that that spirituality is now being used to co-op politics mm-hmm. uh, so just in terms of like the the people that you chose was it um while you were traveling that you came across or before you started this project you just knew i need to speak to this person this person uh it was a little bit of both so there were a few people that because we, we did uh some preliminary uh travels leading up to the actual uh filming about a few weeks before and we already met up with some people, so those people were already on the list that we wanted to talk to. Uh, but there were people that um, um, just sort of accidentally fell into uh, in, 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 into into our into our space, and we kind of wanted to document that as well. I mean, there, we interviewed a lot more people. These were just the ones that actually ended up being in the doc. Um, but it 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 was a, a mix of, of both. Um, because we knew some of these people and like what their point of view was going to be, uh, so it would help us sort of like have a framework, a thesis for the space, um, and you have to be very careful about how you approach a topic like this, 
you can really talk about the war directly in a lot of these places. Um, specifically, I'm talking about like in Visegrad, like the where Kusturica built um, a, a town devoted to a Nobel laureate writer named Ivo Andrić. But the thing is, like the town itself is not really about Ivo Andrić. It's a, it's about something else, and it will take the viewer some time to kind of comprehend that you know he's actually making a monument to something very different. Um, but what was interesting is how we were invited into the town, but they essentially said like no war. Like you, like whenever I would bring up the topic, some people might mention something off the record, but like they just do not want to talk about war, and primarily because they don't want to tell what happened in that town in the nineties, right? So right, yeah, that and and a lot of these spaces have these kind of complicated histories, right? So the war was always on the fringes, and I kind of had to play with, uh, you know, not addressing it directly, only through images that kind of uh, have this inherent tension. It's interesting when you're presented with when a filmmaker is presented with challenges like that. When when you are making a documentary and uh, you don't have that narrative freedom to say, "Well, I'm just going to write that into the script." It's interesting, you know. Tell us more about how you dealt with these sort of challenges when someone would say, no, we are not talking about that. Or you know that, uh, you know, the woman talking about the factory towards the beginning of the film when she's talking about how it affects the the community and how it still continues to affect the community so strongly that you know that she's got a specific point of view and that's, that's what she's going to give you. And then you find ways to work around beyond or with it like with with almost every single uh interview subject what we had was like an open conversation that touched upon a lot of the topics that they also wanted to talk about but also like what i needed which was you know talk about this space about why this place is important and then through those conversations these inherent tensions kind of came up so in the case of the 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 um the woman you mentioned uh, that opens the film, um, she had, um, she was she was somebody that like she represented her um, her workers, her group of workers, and was like part of the bargaining committee that was trying to like uh, renegotiate uh, a place for these people to actually have some sort of benefits if the if the factory is completely privatized and whatnot. So the politics of of um, of like every person kind of came out um, naturally through kind of what they brought to the table, like what their actual uh, role was. A lot of the people there were like already famous, like um, like the 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 mayor of the, the second person appears, the mayor of the town, the first town, Tuzla, um, uh, Semiros Malagic, who's like this, who uncovered these Bosnian pyramids in, in, in the, in the third section um the 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 friar uh Knezevich, like he has like a really big following and and is followed by a lot of people online on youtube and whatnot um and has like a catholic program one so a lot of these people already have like a big following and that also kind of helped frame where these what these places are um and also kind of establish a rapport and like find people that could also be in the in the documentary 
Um, so it, it, it was a, it was a, it, w- it was like the first time I actually made a documentary where I actually had to be really, really aware of the fragile environment that I was in. Like if you misspoke, if you um, veered a conversation into a direction that was like really uncomfortable, like you could essentially just like, you know, lose access. But do you f- find that, you know, the inability to have these uncomfortable conversations or as you say broach on the war has a lot to do with i guess the the rise of nationalism views that you were mentioning earlier in the sense that even in north america history is kind of being revisioned or glossed over or just not taught to heal quote-unquote fragile minds but in many ways it's leading to a more darker aspect to it Oh yeah, big time. Like there in 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 the in Bosnia after the war there was no reconciliation. Like that's something people should be aware of. So that this sort of like peace, Dayton, all that stuff, that that really was a failed um uh, experiment at trying to kind of create this nation after the war. Um because like on on an, in, in every metric that the country is failing. You know, people are leaving in mass. You have oh, oh, upwards of a hundred thousand people leaving each year. Um, young people are leaving in like a massive um, uh, rates. Uh, the unemployment rate is like close to fifty percent. Um, so like, and and these type of environment, this environment, is what allows, and this type of politics to exist. This this nationalism, these these sort of um, uh, disenfranchised views that become so mainstream that they're the ones that dominate. Um, and that is sort of what's happening in, in, to, to, to a lesser extent, but it's also happening in the West, where you have like the blame games that are being played by a lot of people um, in terms of like oh, it's the immigrants are to blame or, you know, the other is always to blame. And in Bosnia, the other is your neighbor. The other is the Catholic. The other is the Christian Orthodox. The other is the Muslim, right? So it, it, the context changes. And... And because it's in Europe, it's kind of bizarre that you have like these people that kind of speak the same language, but because of history, the neighbor is a neighbor for like fifty years and then could potentially be the enemy for like the next five while you're at war and then and and then how do you reconcile how do you that reconcile that and like after. my my background for example is and a lot of my the people that I know like we are all mixed ancestry in terms of like ethnic groups and whatnot, so we don't really define ourselves that way. So it's it's like uh, nationalism is a is a form of paranoia. It's it's it 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 um and it's and it's increasing unfortunately everywhere. So Bosnia is almost like avant-garde in a weird way of what's to come if we're not careful. Where like everybody is sort of ghettoizing each other, uh, trying to divide each other, um living in a in in, in like a constant state of paranoia. Like th- these people essentially live in a state of paranoia. And then th- this this fascination with history that comes up. I mean, these pyramids um, and the different views you get of the pyramid. There's 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 a kind of a vision that I, as an outsider, would get watching, and then watching. You know, for example, the person who who claims to have discovered and unearthed it. 
right and how he's dealing with it and then you see people go in and they're having certain reactions and and mysterious things do happen in these pyramids um and and it's it's like is that a way to deal with all of what you were describing is that a a, i think in this it's making me think now you know i i think in some contexts like when you have um like that particular space was used by um by Semir to kind of like attract a lot of tourists and interests and like it, it became like a pseudo archaeological dig where it it's not scientifically backed but like it, it, it the, the claims were not never scientifically verified but it still be, it gained a following but what what was what interested me about that space is like the way that certain political factions sort of attach themselves to that project so because if you're claiming that there were people here like 30, 40,000 years ago um, and they created these like energy wells and whatnot, then it's part of like the nation building project. Like you actually are claiming that we were here first. And th- that's sort of like history has to, or any site that's sort of created that kind of, whether it be a religious site that creates, you know, this idea of like, um, this is I'm using an example, a bad one. Um, you know, like let's say that you discover the Noah's Ark and you claim that it, it actually landed in this particular place. So that defines, you know, like a particular um group and the affiliation with that particular space. So you might not necessarily believe in it, but that's the claim that they've made. And that's sort of the claim that 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 is being made in these contexts in Bosnia. And with your experience making this film, because I, I believe this is your first documentary, if I'm not mistaken, or first feature doc, first yeah. feature. So, are you going to make more, or do you think you're? Like, I guess my question is, do you did you find a certain aspect of uh, storytelling that would compel you to make more documentaries, or is your comfort zone still the in the the narrative format? I do think I'll probably do both. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's or funny. and and then some hybridity between the two because mm-hmm. that's sort of what I've been doing even with the feature films. Yeah, I was just I was just going to say it's funny uh, to think about that question because you excel at both, and yet there's such a connection between both. It's it, your narratives have this documentary feel, and now this documentary. It has this Even, fictional feel. It has this fictional feel. <laughs> but it's not fiction. <laughs> it's not. That's no, the thing that's, that's scary. That's yeah. the amazing thing about it. And that's the thing that I think is really going to compel audiences because when you see things and you see this part and then it, it, you move on to the next part and the next part, everything is progressing in this film like a narrative. Uh, but it's, it's, it's real. That it's, it's one of those you, you can't make this stuff up. You know, yeah, fact yeah. is stranger than fiction, and Always, the, yeah. the progression of the film is so fascinating because it gets, in some ways, it gets quirkier and more disturbing, but quirkier. And so it's got these two elements. It's got this uh, uh, this incredible analysis going on, but it's also got this this sly humor. You mm-hmm. know, this this like just a whiff of sly humor going through it. And it, it was not purposeful. It, it just sort of came naturally because the spaces, um, when they take themselves so seriously sometimes, 
there's an inherent sort of irony that's sort of built into you know trying to create something like this um and like whether whether they be of like religious nature secular nature it doesn't really matter it's just like if you're not aware or if you're not aware of like you know the the mechanisms at play when one of these places appears or like one of one one of these project is pitched then then uh it's to the detriment of us all that like we're not really a bit more aware and in bosnia nobody's really aware in part because sort of the country has been abandoned in a weird way so like that country again is on the brink like everything everything sort of everything that happens in the world always kind of happens through proxies in a weird way and like bosnia is one of one of these many proxies um like syria like a lot of these other places and like the 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 the, the sort of peace that exists there now is, is extremely fragile okay well I on, on that note i'm on sorry that <laughs> note, no 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 i think that's a fascinating that was note a lot to, to think about yeah it gives us a lot to think about absolutely and uh, so i'm going to remind everyone that uh, we've been speaking with igor derliacha and the film is the stone speakers it's part of wavelengths it's, it's a canadian film it's part of wavelengths. Uh, I was trying to define wavelengths before, and I think I, I think that I the best way to describe wavelengths is that it's a program where you will see unconventional work, and uh, I think that's the best way to describe it. And as with everything, you go to tiff.net. Thank and, you, Barbara. And then we'll see Igor at the screening. All right. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thank you for coming. Thank you. So we're going to be back in just a second. Okay, this is Barbara Gosowski just ending off the show. This is Frameline. Uh, we're going to end off. We're going to do some reviews, but we're actually going to release a special podcast edition, an extra one after this. So if you follow us on SoundCloud or iTunes, just stay tuned and, uh, and you know, check it out. Because after I release this one on SoundCloud and iTunes, we'll release another one. And then we're back next Thursday with another show for uh f- for frameline for tiff 18 okay thanks for listening